0: Good evening, <laughs> Jamie said. Good evening too, at the very same time. Good afternoon. good afternoon, good morning. It's possible that you could be listening to this while you're drinking your cup of coffee. Do of have, or morning, morning tea, or whatever you do. You know, we do have listeners in like Honduras and They're Russia. Drinking
1: coffee, and oh, they probably are drinking coffee in Honduras. Really good coffee
0: too. Good coffee. We would love to have like some of that Colombian coffee. Scott's coffee's coffee. M- mediocre.
1: It is Colombian coffee, yeah. though. Colombian coffee is. It is good, really it's good. good.
0: And not the Colombian that we get in our stores. No, 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 it Just no, says no. Colombian on it.
1: Right, it's not fake. The real Colombian.
2: The
0: story. real, like
1: from special
0: fincas. Yes.
2: Things. The different seven regions of coffee. Seven regions of coffee in. Colombia. And if you're
0: listening to this right now, you're wondering when are we actually going to get to the Bible study? Who is this? Who is this? <laughs> we are continuing our study. Of rakia Technically, though, we wrapped that up last time. So we are going to go on to the appendix portion. But there's two
2: appendices, correct?
0: Appendice appendices, Appendices? I think, is how you pronounce it when it's plural.
2: Apostas.
0: It sounds oh goodness. It sounds similar. Um has nothing to do with it though. Completely different meaning. So appendices. One and two, we're going to talk about the spherical nature of the earth, and we're going to talk about biblical evidence for the earth's rotation. So, we'll go ahead and say up front that the earth is round. Yes. Okay? And And not just round. It's spherical.
2: It's not a dome.
0: It's not a dome. So, what I want to say, first and foremost, is even if the Bible did not tell us that the earth is round and that it rotates on its axis, we already know that. And the Bible doesn't have to tell us all of these things because he gave us minds, he gave us senses for us to study his world. And while we read the Bible, we find many advanced scientific statements there. There are many advanced scientific ideas that we discover, and we're not going to find those in the Bible because God gives us a special revelation, not a scientific handbook. Now, nothing in the Bible will be unscientific; it will all be accurate because God's word is inerrant. But that doesn't mean that God has to give us a list of different scientific facts.
3: Learn something about the word omniscient. When science, the S C I E N T. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, comes from the Latin science know, and God is the ultimate
0: scientist. And he sure, is. He, already... he knows all things, and so. Mm-hmm. God knew about this a long time ago. These basic facts that we're going to discuss tonight, I think that the Bible does give us evidence that these statements were made in the Old Testament, that the, that the earth is round, that the earth rotates on its axis. I think there's evidence for that in the Old Testament, and we'll look at one New Testament example. But there are different creation ministries that they just emphasize things more than others. So... For example, Answers in Genesis, they will quote some of these verses, Mm -hmm. but other verses they think we should just leave alone. For example, when we talk about the rotation of the earth in Job 38, they think that that's not talking about the rotation of the earth and we should just leave it alone. But there are other creationists who believe that it is talking about the rotation of the earth. I've looked into it extensively. I've looked into it so much that kind of I'm tired of looking into it. Mm. It's how my OCD brain works. And I've come away from it thinking that I think there's a good reason to believe that the rotation of the earth is implied in this verse that we're going to look at. Um, and whenever you see the PowerPoints on our website and we post those, uh, I think that you can make up your own mind about it. And once you see some of the pictures, once you see some of the illustrations, because there is a visual component to the verse that we're going to look at, and it's best understood if you have in mind what is being referred to there's actually an ancient near eastern practice it's being referred to and so the slides kind of give you some more details there but we're going to look at some verses tonight since we only have two slides we're going over we're just going to look at these verses one at a time you know why not it's a bible study so the first verse we're going to look at is in isaiah 40 verse 22 and this is one of those verses that's quoted all the time on the internet, and not just on the internet, but anytime someone talks about science in the Bible, you can guarantee they're going to talk about Isaiah 40, verse 22. Now, the critical scholars, and when I say critical scholars, I'm not using critical in any good sense. I mean the skeptical scholars, people who spend their life studying the Bible, but for some reason don't believe the Bible. It sounds like a utter waste of time to me. But these people will interpret this verse different than the way I'm going to interpret it. And there are some people who genuinely believe in a flat earth. They think that it's in the Bible. And they would interpret it differently as well. But let's look at Isaiah 40, verse 22. And it says, it is he, speaking of God, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Now, if you were to look at some older commentaries, they would sometimes argue that when it talks about the circle of the earth, this is referring to uh, the heavens being poetically described as a vault that's overarching the earth. And so some people would take that literally And these would be the critical scholars saying that the ancient Hebrews believed in a solid vault. We already talked about that, so we're not going to rehash it. But that's what they believe it would be. This is a solid dome that's over the earth. The stars and the planets are embedded in it. And that's what the ancient Hebrews believed, according to these skeptical scholars. Um, Other commentators would say it is a vault, but it's a vault used poetically. So this is not referring to a literal vault. It's referring to God stretching out the heavens and it's likened unto a vault or a dome. After all, the the heavens are not literally a curtain, but they're described as a curtain. Mm. So again, this is an analogy here. This is a metaphor. And so some other commentators will look at it that way. However, there are a lot of creationists, including myself, that believe this is not talking about a dome or a vault, whether literal or poetic, that is stretched out over the earth. This is talking about the earth itself. And so when it talks about the circle of the earth, that's talking about the shape of the earth. So some people think circle of the earth or dome of the earth is referring to the heavens above the earth. Yeah. But the most clear sense of the passage to me, I think anybody reading it for the first time would say, circle of the earth is referring to the earth itself. The circle of the earth refers to the shape of the earth. And when it says God sitteth upon it, that means God sitteth above the Hebrew preposition here can be upon or above. And obviously it says God's looking down. So God's looking down upon from above the circle of the earth. Mm -hmm. And so if you were in outer space and you looked upon the earth, it's going to be circular. Now, some people would argue, well, this word doesn't necessarily mean a sphere. It could just be a circle. Well, there is no word in ancient Hebrew that literally means a sphere. Okay? What about like a ball? So the word for ball. Not uh, bow. What's that? Uh, not like Bale. bachi. Not like bail. Bachi. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that'd yeah, be baal when it's talking about. Anyway, sorry. Bale. Taking down a Stargate reference. It's, yes. It's um, okay. The word ho- for ball. Hoog. This oh, is one hoog. of those where you got to say it like with a little hoog. bit of a guttural huh. sound of hoog. No, that
2: doesn't say chug.
0: No, it it looks this like chug, <laughs> but it's pronounced hoog. Uh, but yeah, if you were to look at the Brown Driver Briggs dictionary, that's classic Hebrew dictionary, it's vault, draw round, or make a circle. So it is a noun and it is a verb, and they're spelt the exact same way. Hmm. So if you were to look it up, if you were to look up the word hoog, it could be the noun meaning circle or vault. And then it would also be used to refer to drawing round or making a circle, encompassing something, surrounding something. So obviously the idea of a circle is involved in both of those. Now, because there's no literal word in Hebrew for sphere, flat earthers would say this is talking about a disc. It's a disc-shaped object, and God looks down upon it, and it's a disc. However, the Brown-Drivers-Briggs Dictionary, and this is considered a pretty reliable dictionary, it lists vault as a meaning. Now, vault or dome gives us a mental picture of something that is 3D. A disk is not 3D. A, a disk is a level plane. So if it's talking about something that ha- that's domed okay, or that's shaped with roundness, And it's giving that to the earth. In my mind, you have two ways you can look at this. You can say, since it's applying to the earth, that the earth is one half of a ball. So the earth is cut in half, like if we were to imagine it as a full sphere, it's cut in half and it's dome-shaped, okay? Which, to me, sounds absurd. Or dome here, the word in Hebrew is simply suggesting that the earth has a rounded surface. And so when God looks upon it from heaven, the earth has a rounded surface. And since the word here does have a 3D um idea involved in it that it is best explained based on the knowledge that we have today that the earth, if you were to look at it, it's a dome. It's two halves to a dome put together equals a ball. It's a sphere. So God sits above and he looks upon the earth, and it is rounded. So some people would say, again, the term doesn't have to mean sphere, but like I said, the lexicon gives us the idea of something three-dimensional. So either you believe that the earth itself is a dome, okay, not the sky, but the earth itself is some kind of dome, which, by the way, no one believes that. Flat earthers don't believe that. The critical scholars don't believe that's what it's referring to even the people that think the ancient Hebrews believed something very different than what we know. The Bible teaches the people who make up this whole thing and these illustrations and these charts, like this is yeah. what they believed. Okay. Even those people don't think that they believed that the earth was actually in the shape of a dome. Um, they believe that there was a dome over it and that right. was the heavens. But here we're not talking about the heavens. We're talking about the circle of the earth.
1: Yeah. So, sorry, I'm go ahead. At Albert Barnes commentary. Um, he says, the circle of the earth, or rather, above the circle of the
0: earth. Yes. Yes, that's what, that's mm-hmm. what the NLT so, like, says. That's the, the preposition. Oh, and that's, that's what I mentioned up. earlier. It exactly. can mean above, or it that's can mean, above yeah. the
2: circle of the earth.
1: Yeah. So, so he's, he's slightly, to me, I'm, and I could be wrong, but it sounds like he's just talking about the heavens as opposed to the earth. You
0: know what I mean? Like, I don't know. No, you're saying, okay, so, again, what some people think is the circle of the earth is referring to the heavens surrounding the earth. Okay. However, I don't think that fits, because if you go to Job, and I don't have this reference on my slides, I'm sorry about that. 14. But it, it may be, but it, there's a reference to the circle of the heaven. Or the heavens. He walks the circuit of the of the heavens. Yes. However, that's the circle circuit of the heavens. Right. If Isaiah meant that we're talking about the sky over the earth, and God sits above the sky, then why didn't he just use the same expression, "circle of the heavens"? Right. But he says the circle of the earth, and so that implies that the earth is circular. And since the word requires some three dimensional picture, either it's half of a sphere Mm. and dome shaped, or it's a full sphere. And again, like I said, since no one believes that the ancient Hebrews believed that the earth was half a sphere, right? then I think that what that means is whatever perspective God looks upon the earth from, and that's everywhere, right? Because God's it's omnipresent. He sees everything certainly. from all angles at all times. When he looks upon the earth, it's vault shaped. And if you were to look at a vaulted ceiling, okay, it's rounded, just like the earth's surfaces. So again, this term Hug, this verse doesn't require a spherical earth, but I think that the term is referring to the shape of the earth. So you're left with the earth either being a circle, and God sits above a disk, and he looks upon the earth, and from his perspective it is a circle disk. Or he looks upon it and it's a circle from all angles because it's a sphere. Mm -hmm. And really the whole argument depends on the meaning of the term is, this two dimensional is a three dimensional. And again, I think a a great article that's about, this is on the creation um, creation ministries, international website, creation.com. They have an article about it and they bring up this lexicon and they bring up the meaning of the term. And they also point out that if it's talking about the earth and it seems to be talking about the earth, not the sky above the earth, but if it's applying this term to the shape of the earth in some form, then it is three dimensional. And that seems to suggest the idea that the earth's surface is rounded. And um, again, if the earth's surface is rounded and we're thinking three dimensional, the most natural shape for us to imagine in our mind would be that of a sphere. So that's Isaiah 40, 22. We don't want to linger too much on that because there are some other verses that are equally Interesting, but let's go to Proverbs 8.27. Proverbs 8.27 in this verse, and Job 26.10 say pretty much the same thing. But Proverbs 8.27 says, When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. The face of the depth refers to the deep, the sea, the waters, and he set a compass upon the face of the depth. I have a little um, footnote here in my Bible that says that this means he inscribed a circle upon the face of the depth. And while right here it's not readily apparent that we're talking about the spherical shape of the earth, if you go to Job again uh, this reference is very similar, Job 26.10 it says basically the same thing that God inscribed a circle on the face of the waters. So what does that mean? There's a little bit more information given in Job. So I'm gonna go there now. Job 26. 2610. 26, 10. Yes, it says he hath compassed again that same term who right. hath compassed or inscribed a circle. Um he hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and the night come to an end. So imagine the earth, the earth as we know it is mostly water. So that's why it's a blue planet. And it says that God here, he compassed, that means he encircled the waters. And he appointed a boundary. And it says right here, that boundary is where day and night come to an end. They meet their terminus. Sure. So if you look up here, you can see this picture, which is illustrating the, the terminus or the, the terminator. Uh, that is the boundary line between light Not, and dark. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not like that. Every time I say terminator, or <laughs> I think terminator, I think of that. The NLP, <laughs> but uh,
2: The NLT says that he drew the horizons on the ocean.
0: Yeah some people think that this is referring to the horizon.
2: But wouldn't but but I'm looking at the line there and like when you're on one side of that line and you're looking at it you're seeing the horizon.
0: What? Yeah explain if you're on just what
2: If you're on the earth, like you're over on the west side of that line and you look the other direction that's the horizon where the sun is coming up. And if you're on the east side and you look towards that line you're seeing the sun setting at the horizon.
3: That line Fully visible visible.
2: Right, but it is in that picture.
3: Cause it, cause it's
2: that God I wonder if you
1: were to stand on that line. Half of you would be light and half of you would be dark.
2: <laughs> he, he, that literally is the horizon.
0: So yeah. l- let, me, let me explain where I'm going with this and where other people are going with this because it's not just me, I promise. He hath compassed the waters with bounds. Okay. So first off, God takes the waters of the earth and he, he encircles them. Okay. Encircles them means he compassed roundabout. So imagine God, I can imagine him visually with his hands. He encircles the waters. Okay. To keep them from passing over a boundary. All right. So we can imagine God forming and shaping this ball, but it says that this boundary. Okay. When he, when he wraps this boundary around the waters around the earth, Mm -hmm. That's where day and night come to an end, and that is called the Terminator. So if the Earth was flat, um, you wouldn't have a boundary line like that. Uh, As the sun rises, it's going to light the surface of the Earth because it's flat. When the sun rises, the whole flat plane is going to be lit by the sun. Now, there are lots of flat Earth people who say, oh, well, there's other ways that it can be done, but...
2: Gymnastics, gymnastics,
0: gymnastics is what it is. But if the sun rises above the earth and the earth is flat, it's light everywhere. But if the earth is rounded, yeah. then there is a boundary between light and dark. Yes. And that circle on the horizon could refer to the curvature of the earth. And to support that observationally, I mean, if you see a ship you know going away from yeah. you and you're on the water you're at sea level right it's flat mediterranean yeah it's going you're going to see the ship its hull is going to sink below the horizon and that only could happen if there was curvature to the yes. earth so when it talks about setting a a circle on the waters it's talking about the curvature the shape of the earth and there and another thing that was mentioned is that the only way you could have the terminator be a circle
1: will
0: be back. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because the terminator does come back. It That's wraps right. around it back to where you were. Exactly. Ah, good one, Scott. Yeah, yeah. But the terminator, the only way it could be a circle, okay, that boundary between light and dark is if the earth was a globe. Okay? Right. It, it, in order for the terminator to wrap around in a circle, it would have to be a spherical shape. And so knowing what we know when we read this verse, it makes perfect sense. It's like, okay, God made this earth, which is mostly covered in water. He inscribed a circle on it. That means it's three dimensional. He's put a spherical shape on the water. So from outer space, when you look at the waters, they're not flat. They're mm. curved. They're rounded. Yep. They're, there's a circle inscribed upon it. And there, this boundary between light and dark only would exist with the spherical shape of the earth as we know it. So would somebody read this verse and reason from it to a spherical shape? Maybe if they thought about it hard enough, that's not necessarily what I'm arguing for. I'm just saying that this statement fits perfectly with a spherical earth. And I don't think it fits with a flat earth because as other people have pointed out, if the sun rose above a flat earth, there's no boundary line between Mm. light and darkness on the earth. The whole earth is lit by light. But if it's a spherical shape, there's one half of the earth that's dark and one half of the earth that's light. And that makes perfect sense here, that boundary line, that terminator. So that's Job 26.10. Now, um, Job 26.7, so we're in the same chapter here. Uh, it says, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Hangeth the earth upon nothing in and of itself is pretty insightful because at the time, a lot of people believed that the earth had to be founded on something. But we know that the Earth is not founded on anything. We know that it is free-floating in space. We know that it's, of course, controlled by the forces of gravity. You know, it has a particular motion. It has a particular path that it follows through space, right? But it is hanging on nothing. There's there's nothingness in the sense that space is not something tangible. It's not a crane holding up the Earth. Right. And it's not a pillar, like a physical pillar or a giant turtle, like some Hindu cosmologies believe. There, there's yes. nothing undergirding the Earth or holding it up. And that's exactly what we know to be true today. So that's pretty insightful. But when it says he stretcheth out the north over the empty place, uh, Henry Morris argues, and I get a lot of my stuff from him because we've been going through his book, but Henry Morris argues that uh, stretching out the north uh, over the empty place is a reference to the North Pole. And so the North Pole is this, it's this axis, this north to south axis, this line that God stretches out. And that's the orientation the earth has because God has, he has given the earth that that axis, the north and south axis. And, you know, some people, and I don't know if y'all thought about this, but okay, well, is there direction to the universe? We have direction, you know, I mean, we got the north, south, east and west, but um, is there a similar orientation to the universe. Well, of course, I think that that's probably true. I think that when the Bible talks about uh, God's mountain being on the sides of the north, and I think that's in Isaiah 14, Mm. uh, but it says, or it may be in Ezekiel 28, but it's one of those passages that's talking about Lucifer's fall, and it mentions that the mount of congregation is in the sides of the north, the the reaches of the north. And
1: how would the so I'm, You know me. How would they know or even think about north, south, east, west in insofar as, okay, that's north. How would they know it's north? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, okay, I'm going to go that way. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? They yeah,
3: like, still use the sun to direct.
1: You. Yeah, I suppose so. But the then that would be east and west. I don't know. Maybe it's the medication. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I, but I think it comes back to something. There has to be, you have to have a point of reference. And um, I think that this is talking about that point of reference. So what, where is north? Well, we, the, we know the north is North Pole. Okay. Right. But why is that north and not the opposite? Okay. I think that it's because God establishes true north. Uh, this is just my opinion. Sure. Okay. So this is pure speculation on my part, but um, I think that based on that reference to God's Mount of Congregation being on the sides of the North and the sides of the North, um, I think that that could be that if the, the universe goes back to um, that concept of the earth being a sphere, right? If the universe is a sphere and God's Mount of Congregation is located, obviously in one place, then that would be considered north, directionally speaking. So we would, have, we would have a north that lines up with where God is. Right. So God's the one who establishes the direction. And at the top of the sphere, north of the sphere of the universe, that would be where God is. Mm-hmm. And you know from there, you would be able to know, okay, well, if that's north and that's south, that's east, that's west. And perhaps our our pole, our north-south axis for the earth, it tells us where true north is. And obviously, I, I while I do believe, and some Christians disagree, I mean, that's okay. I mean, this is not a real big deal. This is a lot of speculation. But some people think heaven is like right next to us. They think that heaven is like another dimension. That's what I think. Um, I think that heaven is it does have a specific location, right? I don't think it's in another dimension and this is just my opinion, but I think I mean, that you're I think wrong. it's okay. I could be, yeah. but I think that heaven is directional and it's not dimensional. I think that if I think there's a barrier between us and heaven, yeah, we absolutely. could never get past. Right. Cause God doesn't permit it. But I do believe that Jesus, when it talks about him in Ephesians four, him ascending above the highest heaven, mm. I think that that suggests, okay, so he went, he passed through the first heaven. He passed through the second heaven and he went to the, the highest third, heaven, right. the, the third heaven. So I think that it seems to be implied in scripture by first, second, third, that they are, um, they're stacked in a directional sense, sure. um, that one is physically located above the other. Uh, I don't deny that there are dimensions or layers to reality. Sure. Um, I think that right now, We are blinded to the spirit realm. Absolutely. Um, So I think that there could be angels around us right now. and We just can't see them. So I I do believe in that. Um, But I think that as far as the the space time continuum, um, I don't think there are multiverses. I think Mm. there's just one universe. Uh, I think the Bible teaches that there's one universe that he made this one. And and I think that heaven is located at the top of it because that's just the plain sense of the text. Uh, where is hell? The lower parts of the earth, Where is heaven it's above the first heaven above the second heaven. So I think there is direction to it. It's funny, like as a kid, I grew up and this is the way I thought of it. Heaven is literally up. Yeah. Uh, Heaven, heaven is above me. Okay. Um, and perhaps it's due North. Mm. If you were to, if you were to follow North and you were to, you know, track that path to the very edge of the universe, maybe perhaps you'd wind up in the third heaven where God dwells. Okay. Speculation. Okay. Sure. Obviously on that part, but, um, where's hell it's down. Yeah. Heaven is up. Hell is down. Where'd that mentality come from? Is that naive? Is that, cause I was kind of told that when I got to college, that's naive to think that hell's down and heaven's up. And they would try to like allegorize that and be like, okay, well, heaven's up is in your transcending, you know, you're, you're being elevated and you're being glorified. And, and hell is down because God's judging you and he's putting you down. And it was kind of like metamo- uh, metaphorical. Yeah. Allegorized some. And I'm like, no, I think it actually is up. I think heaven is up. and I think hell is down. Now, as far as the lake of fire, don't even ask me about that. Right. Because that's something the Bible doesn't tell us anything about. It right. tells us there is a lake of fire. Right. So I have no idea where it is. But as far as like hell, Hades, Sheol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tartarus where the angels are bound the bottomless pit i think the bottomless pit is in the earth in revelation when it talks about the pit being opened up i mean the way it's described there's a pit opened up sure. and smoke comes out of the pit and so that implies that below our feet is hell is hell and it talks about angels being bound at the euphrates right okay they're not bound floating in the air they're no doubt bound under the euphrates So the idea of a prison, a spiritual prison being below us, I think is very well established by scripture. Um, and I think that just looking at it the other way, going the other direction, heaven is above us. Sure. But, But, um, but but, go ahead.
1: I I was thinking about this as I was reading the Bible, um, where, uh, Adam and Eve are, are cast out from, from the garden. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it says that the the cherubim I think it is are are guarding the gates. Yes. To the tree of life and basically to the, the way to the tree of life. Yeah. Right? The east. So, right. So we don't know where that is. So in my mind, that means okay, it's there, but it's in a different dimension. And that's and that's kind of yes. Where it goes. I've heard that.
0: I've heard that many many times. And again, it's possible, but. I think that they I think that the Garden of Eden was also locational. I think that it was in our dimension, and I think that they came up to it right. and they offered before the Lord. you ever wonder like it says cain Cain's offering was rejected, Abel's was accepted. there was some kind of visual display, yeah, and now I don't know if this tradition is is true, but the Jews obviously thought the same that it was a visual display of God's acceptance and they depicted as fire came down and they consumed right Abel's offering yes that's not stated in Genesis but that's very reasonable I think sure just like the fire came down for in the Isaiah, temple you're right yeah. and and in so many other places yes. uh for Elijah so Elijah. I think that when it talks about this fiery sword Yes. I think that that was God's Shekinah. I think that was his presence. Sure. And I think it was in the shape of a sword because that was a representation of the fact that God's judgment was against them. But I think that the cherubim on either side were like the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. And so you had God dwelling at the edge of the garden mm-hmm. with the cherubim on either side. So when they came up to the edge of the garden, it was there. Like, they knew they knew the garden. It's on the other side. We just can't sure. go there. Uh, now what happened when the flood happened, some people think that the garden was swept away, swept away. Some people think that it was maybe protected in some, uh, another dimension. I've even heard that this is, this is a little fringy, but I've even heard some people think that it's under us. I've heard some people think that it's in the center of the earth. There's a hollow earth and that yeah. And the garden of Eden was somehow preserved in the center of the earth. And that that is where paradise is. That's Abraham's bosom. Yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, I I don't think so. I personally don't think so. I think that if we say the Garden of Eden was a physical place on the earth and the highest mountain was covered by water, unless we want to engage in idle speculation, which you could. I think that it's most reasonable. The inference is that it was covered. It was destroyed. What made the Garden of Eden special? Um, Mm. God was there. The tree of life was there, but the tree of life is a literal tree, right? Right. And it could be swept away in the waters of the flood just as any other tree. Um, Perhaps. We're not going to say, oh, well, the tree of life got swept away. I guess we're missing out. We're never going to get that back. Well, he can restore it just as he's going to restore all of creation. He's going to burn it up and make something new. So I think that the garden of Eden doesn't have to be physically preserved for us to see it again Mm -hmm. one day. I don't think it's like God's got the garden of Eden hidden right now. And he'll make a big reveal one day. Right. I think the garden of Eden was destroyed and God's going to fix it back up for us. He's going to present us with a brand stinking new one. That's my opinion. Yeah.
1: But, but I, I, I just wonder if ice age, you know, you ever seen the movie ice age? Yeah. 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 Right. I think that maybe they're talking nothing. Forget
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about like the lost world? Yeah, and yeah, ice Yeah. Where they go down. And yeah. And you, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I knew there might be something like that. Who knows? Who'd we, we haven't, what we haven't Who'd gone. Be? Rudy. Rudy's Rudy. There. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's a funny movie. <laughs> uh, who knows what's down there? I know a lot of people get into the whole hollow earth theory. I just, I think they're well, obviously, you, but
1: you think that hell's down. there.
0: Yes. Yes. So, so... How, I don't know how far to take that though. I know that paradise is there and hell's there, but beyond that I, I wouldn't engage in anything else. I, there are some people who've said, no, listen, uh, the, the garden of Eden was in the center of the earth from the very beginning. Like some people think, it was actually in the, the center of the earth, and when Cain wandered away from the Garden of Eden into the land of Nod, that's when he came to the surface. <laughs> that's
2: wackadoodle.
0: <laughs> I've heard some people say that.
2: What's that? That's wackadoodle.
0: Wackadoodle. I, I would agree. I would concur. Um, so I, that's what I call idle speculation. Is there any evidence that there's something in the center of the earth? Yeah, I mean, it talks it's about slowly. Tartarus. It Why talks about paradise.
2: Garden in the center of the earth.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean paradise is down there. I'm sure paradise isn't just like, you know, is, a gray room. So So but you're anyways. You're kind of contradicting yourself.
1: Al explained. But you're saying, no, no, I don't think that that's down there, but I think hell's down there.
0: No, I'm saying I don't think I didn't say that I didn't think paradise is down there. Obviously I do believe it's down there. Because Luke sixteen says that it is. So let me clarify my view. Okay. Paradise is down there. Okay. Okay. With hell.
2: Abraham's hell with is
0: down there. There's an impassable gulf between the two. Okay. However, you want to visually imagine that. The rich okay. man and Lazarus. Okay. So that's Luke 16. And there are other references too that talk about the lower what parts of the earth and the about bottomless being pit.
1: Down there, talking about the South Pole.
0: Talk about what? The South
1: Pole, and and the heavens at the North Pole. Because you were kind of alluding to that earlier as well. Up, down. No, I North think, South. I think that the center Antarctica of the Earth. I'm just being. Yeah, <laughs> he's I playing devil's it's advocate.
0: Fine that's fine. I think the center of the Earth is the lower parts of the Earth. I think that's where hell is. The center of the Earth. Okay. Okay. I don't think it's in Antarctica. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that it's the center of the Earth. Um, have you been? It's too cold in Antarctica. That's to fun. Antarctica. Yeah, I have not. Um, Do but, but I think there. I think that from what we know, people say it's pretty hot towards the center of the Earth. I mean right that's okay. why i mean that's
1: why the whole um paradise being down there doesn't make sense to me well,
0: but, it is it is it says it is but it's yeah it is kind of strange it's mm. in an ice cave. um it's in an ice cave it's in a preserved place where god has i, I just people making, in the past he ain't there now uh lazarus ain't there now abraham ain't there now because they're in heaven now but See, i like making buddy go down these rabbit trails it's so much fun <laughs> it's fun it is exciting yeah. But yeah, what I was saying is, I, I think that heaven exciting. <laughs> I think it's exciting. I think heaven is up. I think heaven is up. I think it's probably at the edge of the universe. And I think hell is down. It's in the center of the earth. That's my opinion. Which,
2: which interestingly, if you believe that the universe is also a sphere, puts it the furthest distance from heaven possible. Yes.
0: Yes. Especially if we're, yeah. Right. Yes. Especially. There you have it. Good job, Christy. Very Sorry, insightful. I'm like falling asleep over here, but see, she I no she she woke up. Night. She woke up long was enough. Up was I two. snoring? She woke no. up long enough to give us an insightful comment. There Good job. Go. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, uh, and, and we won't go to this passage, but in Luke 17, it talks about the rapture, and the rapture is going to happen at three different times. It talks about people grinding, which is something that they do. In the morning, like grinding you know, their They're wheat. their wheat. Yes, thank you. Christy does that. That happens in the morning. Sometimes According to their cultural practices. Here. It talks about people being asleep in their bed at night. And it talks about people working in the field, which is midday. So I mean it's at each time the rapture is gonna happen where one is taken and one's left behind. So that would imply oh, that's what we're talking about. that would imply time zones. That would imply that it is light on one side of the earth and dark on the other. That's impossible with a flat earth. That means the earth is a sphere.
2: Endure. We know that happens. We can talk to people on the other side of the earth.
0: Exactly. See, there's lots of confirmation. It's, there's no doubt about it. It's just a question of whether or not the Bible teaches it. And these teachings that we're looking at are best fitted with the idea of a spherical earth. So I don't think the Bible teaches a flat earth. Um, even no, if the Bible, Even if the Bible doesn't come right out and say, hey, the earth is round, I think it's suggested. But even if it doesn't say it flat out, the Bible does not in any way say, the earth is flat. Right. So that's one thing we should kind of emphasize there. Um, but now let's look at this last verse here. This is Job um, 38, 12 through 14. And this is the the big one. Okay. This is the interesting one. And this is the one I tried to explain to Kate. And she's like, I don't get it. So if y'all are listening to it's me still under wow. the and, 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 the and you say, I don't get it. That's Okay. Because my wife, that's very smart, she didn't get very it either, sucking up so that's it took me a little while, but
3: I, I just you asked me the specific question was, do you think the plain reading of this passage that says something about it being spiritual, and I said, I understand what you're saying about the cylinder part that you're going to explain, but I did not necessarily take away
0: you thought you're a little bit whacked out (laughs)
2: prayer wheel over there on the right hand side buddy that is
0: not a prayer wheel uh i'm gonna explain it but let's read the verses first uh job 38 12 hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth that the wicked might be shaken out of it It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. Now, those verses right there have generated a lot of controversy among creationists. Like, is this talking about the rotation of the earth? And it all comes down to a little bit of translation, because in verse 14, it says it is turned. Now, there are different translations. Some say it takes shape, it takes form, it's transformed. But the KJV says it is turned. Now, most Bible scholars that I have read believe that it, in the phrase it is turned, refers back to the earth because it is the closest antecedent. In verse 13, when it says that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and then in verse 14, it says it is turned. So most Bible scholars argue that the thing being turned is the earth. However, they dispute the translation of the King James. They think that turned does not mean turned physically. They think it means turned in a metaphorical sense. It's transformed. It's like turning into something else. That's how they would understand it. So if that's the way you interpret it, then that would sort of, it wouldn't necessarily rule out entirely, but it would take a lot of the power or force out of what I'm sharing with you tonight. Uh, If it literally means turned physically, then that makes us wonder, ooh, it's talking about the Earth turning physically. And does the Earth turn physically? Well, of course it does. It rotates on its axis. Now, to confirm this somewhat, I'm going to need to share with you a little bit of Hebrew knowledge. And I don't got a lot of Hebrew knowledge, but I I did study for this. So I want to share with you the usage of this term. It can mean transformed, no doubt about it. However, there's a particular form of this word, this verb, turned. Uh, it's called the hitpile form. There's all kinds of different forms. There's the call. Uh, there is the nifal. There's the pl, the pool, There's the hitpile. There's lots of different forms of Hebrew verbs. Well, this is the hitpile form, and it's what you call reflexive. So first thing you need to know is it's an action done upon oneself. So it would be turn itself. In fact, many commentaries even admit that this is reflexive and it should be literally translated. It turns itself, which is another really interesting detail to sort of suggest that the earth is rotating on its axis, because if you were looking at it from outer space, there's nothing moving it. There's nothing turning it.
2: And not all planets rotate.
0: This is true. They don't all rotate. Um... Well, and think about the moon. I mean, I'm not an astronomer, I mean, but moon the moon always, always stays facing us. It, it doesn't turn. It, I mean, it goes around us, but it doesn't itself rotate. Which is kind of cool to think about. But the earth does turn Dark side of the moon. I man. didn't know that Rock either on. until I studied it. <laughs> <Rock on. laughs> Pink Floyd, man.
2: No, a revolution and a rotation are not the same.
1: Revolutions like you know, an uprising
2: Revolving around the sun. I, knew it, Scott, and I saw on that on coming axis.
0: a mile away. You
2: know, I was, I was, I was <laughs> either going to go with the
1: Beatles. <laughs> or
0: revolution. Or Talk about a revolution.
2: Oh, I learned something new. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I did too. I've learned a lot Hold when I researched let me, this.
2: Let me, let me fact check myself. Okay. What's the question? In. There's planets that don't rotate.
1: I think so. The moon doesn't rotate.
2: For some
3: reason, I thought that if it did not rotate, that
0: it would be
2: so So we fact that christy christy's wrong
0: christy was entirely wrong but she can explain what she's saying
2: so all the planets in our solar system do indeed rotate but one rotates backwards and one rotates on its side but not all planets in the universe rotate some are tidally locked to their star
0: there you have it so this particular term when it says it is turned is used in the hit pile form three times outside of this verse. One is in the previous chapter in Job 37, and it refers to the swirling motions of the clouds. So they are spinning in a swirling pattern. That's the way Job's describing. Then you have Judges 7.13, the story of Gideon. There's a dream that the men have. And there's a barley loaf that rolls itself. Nobody apparently rolling this thing. Nobody throwing it down the hill. But there is a loaf of bread that rolls itself down the hill. And it knocks down the tents. And that was a a bad omen. It was God giving them the dream. And it was a prophecy that Gideon was going to come and conquer them. And lastly, in Job, or not Job, Genesis... Y'all just excuse Jamie. In Genesis 3, it talks about the sword turning itself this way and then that way. So we just talked about the sword of fire with the cherubim and the sword turned itself. It was not being turned, swirling one direction and another by anybody other than itself, which, of course, I believe, as I mentioned earlier, I believe the, the sword was The Shekinah of the Lord. So I think that's God in that particular form, just like he was in the burning bush. All right. So, but the point is these three terms, these three usages of the same term, rather, in each case, they are turning themselves. There's nothing moving them. They are they're rotating in a swirly pattern. Whether it's a sword moving around or it's a barley loaf rolling or the clouds swirling. They're all moving, turning themselves. So based on that evidence, it appears that it would be very wise, as the King James translators decided, that turned should be understood in terms of physical motion. So while the term in a very general sense can mean transformed, the hit pile form, which is only used four times in every time outside of Job, this particular verse. It refers to physical motion, turning itself. So, there's that evidence.
2: There's also the Coriolis effect evidence that the Earth is round. Because the Coriolis effect is whenever things in the northern hemisphere spin in one direction, things in the other hemisphere spin in the opposite direction because of the rotation of the earth sphere.
0: Yes. And so that's strong natural proof, strong scientific proof. But the debate is even among creationists who agree, hey, the earth is round and it rotates. It's does this particular passage teach it? And so, what we can say about this is that the physical rotation of the earth is possibly implied because the antecedent of the word it is the earth and turned should be understood in terms of physical turning. So the earth is turned. Now, what is he talking about here? He's talking about, again, going back to verse 12, hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know its place. It's talking about the sunrise. And in the context of sunrise, he says, verse 14, it is turned. And then it says, "and and they stand as a garment. Most commentators think that refers to the features of the earth. So they, refers to the features of the earth that are previously unseen because they're covered in darkness. And then light sweeps over the earth and reveals the features of the earth. Specifically, verse 13 talks about the wicked. So the wicked are hiding in the dark, committing their sin in the dark. Light goes over the surface of the earth and reveals them and exposes their iniquity. So it's very poetic. There's more than just physical activity going on here because it's also talking about the sin of man, but it's talking about the sunrise and it mentions that the earth is turned as clay to the seal. Now that comes to another thing we need to discuss. What does clay to the seal mean? So this is something you would not be able to appreciate unless you saw the picture. So when we put the slides up, you'll know what we're talking about.
2: It's, an, it's a role that's embossing. Yes.
0: Yeah, so there was uh, a practice in ancient Mesopotamia that you take a, a cylinder seal. Hey, Jamie, Jamie, Shh. Jamie. Yeah, we like Spider-Man. Be quiet though, okay? So the cylinder seal was made out of some kind of precious jewel, uh something really hard that they would carve, that they would etch, and then you'd have soft clay. You'd take that cylinder seal and you'd roll it over the clay, and of course it would make the impressions on the soft clay. They would take a bar that would form an axis, so it would attach to both ends of the cylinder so instead of actually touching the cylinder they would have that, that they held and as they held that the cylinder is literally rotating on its axis and it's covering the clay and it's making these features stand out so it's like it's the,
2: essentially an embossed rolling pin that we yes would use on yes
0: okay so for those who are listening that's what it is it's an embossed rolling pin and you have <laughs> you have or an axis and it's rotating around an axis okay so this is what i'm arguing for okay Okay. and and i've really looked into this and this is what i think i could be wrong and that's why i don't believe this is something we should use as a proof like i wouldn't say look this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah that the bible in this verse is teaching the rotation of the earth it is poetic language okay however it's so compelling to me that i've read this text a million times and i'm like what are the chances that this text is talking about that God speaking these words, by the way, y'all, this isn't yeah. Job. This is God here. He's interrogating Job and he talks about the sunrise and he talks about the earth turning and the revelation of all the things that are hidden in darkness as the light goes over the surface of the earth. He's talking about that. So what are the coincidence or the, the chances rather that the God would use these particular words and not have the rotation of the earth in mind?
2: Right, he would, because they're linked inextricably. To me,
0: it's like, I can't imagine God not using the expression, the earth is turned, and not be talking about the rotation of the earth. Because we know, for a fact, that the earth is turned. That's not up for debate, as far as scientific evidence goes. And the expression just is too, it's almost, it's almost too obvious to ignore. Unless you translate it as transformed, as some have. but as the evidence shows as i just showed you the references suggest that the word does refer to physical motion and if it's talking about the earth physically being moved then that makes perfect sense in the context because we are talking about sunrise and sunset and we know the sun's not moving we know it's the earth that's moving so when it says it turns itself this is what i think it's referring to and i'm just going to read to you what i have down here because i thought about this and i tried to get my words right so hopefully this makes sense so this is my proposed interpretation dawn which is in the poetry, personified as a messenger of God, enforces the Lord's decree for the wicked ones of the earth, and by extension the earth itself, to stand before him, exposed. This is accomplished by the earth slowly turning itself to face the sun's light. A cylinder seal rotating on its axis, thus forming impressions on soft clay, is used to illustrate that process so it's like god says to the wicked who are on the earth face me now stand before your maker stand before your judge and the earth has to obey the will of god and dawn is seen as like the ambassador perhaps we could even imagine in the dawn the sun the image of god who exposes the earth to his light of truth and righteousness And as the earth turns and faces the light, it's like a person who's being told to turn around. Mm -hmm. It's like someone's hiding something. They've got their sin in their hands poetically. And God says, turn and face me. And they turn themselves because they can't disobey. They cannot deny the power of God. Right. And so the earth turning itself is like the earth submitting to the will of God that's being enforced through dawn which is serving as God's messenger. So when you look at it that way, it is not only powerful uh, scientifically speaking, and it's its illustration of the rotation of the earth, but it's also very powerful spiritually speaking that you can't hide your sin from God. And no matter what people try to do to accomplish that, one day we're all going to stand before him exposed. Yeah. Every single one of us, even Christians, hmm. are going to stand before the Bema seat and the light of God's going to shine from his throne and we're going to either receive wards or loss, the Bible says. Though even the people who experience loss will be saved because we're saved by the grace of God. Amen. And if we're at the Bema Seed after the rapture, then you're a child of God. Only children of God go up in the rapture. But the point is we're all going to stand before God. And so it's powerful spiritually. We can get a lot out of that. But I think that if you take the text at face value, as is translating the King James, which I think that's the best translation in this case, looking into it and that's another thing i wanted to point out that i've seen a lot of translations say transform 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 and and i'm not going to deny that the term can mean that it can but the hit pile form is never used that way in the hebrew bible in the few references and guys if you want to see these references they're in again the brown drivers briggs uh lexicon and you can see uh that for yourself but um it reminds me that story i probably shared it with you before but the story of the King James translator who was sitting in a congregation for one Sunday service. And a guy got up there and preached. He's a young man yeah, 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 and yeah. he started going on about how this particular phrase should be translated this right. way. And here are three reasons why. And then afterwards the you know service was over and the King James translator introduced himself very politely and says, I was actually on the committee that was in charge of translating that book and that verse in particular. And we were aware of the three reasons that you gave, but we had another six reasons why we should translate it the way that we did in the text. Mm. And he went through and explained those reasons to the young man, again, very respectfully and politely. Uh, and the young man was was humbled by that. He was, um, he was reminded of how how important it is when you take the pulpit and you preach that you do so not in pride, right, not arrogantly.
2: Like you know all the things, like you know and
0: everything, yeah. But um, you you so are, you approach you approach the text and you approach God and His His calling for you to preach very humbly. And I hope that I always do that. But if um, you want
2: that rolling pin? You can get it on Etsy. I'm pretty sure <laughs> you probably can.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that cylinder seal again. Check out our slides. We're gonna post them up soon. And whenever you do that, you'll be able to see what we're talking about. And put but, a
2: link to the rolling pin too.
0: You can, because it's essentially, it's essentially a rolling (laughs) pin. That's what it is. (laughs) We have uh, several downstairs.
2: They make them with a handle like that. Seriously. In in Eastern Europe, especially. Well, there you go.
0: I mean, that's what they were doing ancient times. So here are some recommended sources. And this is where we'll wrap up because we need to be done. Uh, Biblical creationism by Henry Morris is great because he goes through every section of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And he even goes through the Apocrypha and some other uh, texts outside the Bible. And he looks at what they have to say about creation and the flood. It's really good stuff. Uh, Waters Above by uh, Jody Dillo. This guy has got the definitive resource on the canopy theory. And it's got a lot of math and a lot of science and a lot of it goes over my head. Um, Starlight and Time also kind of goes over my head. And it's by Russell Humphreys. And he has a lot to say about the canopy. But he thinks the canopy surrounds the universe rather than around the earth. And then the Panorama of Creation by Carl Ball, not
1: Carl Ball,
0: Carl Ball, yeah. Oh, that guy. I think he's got a bad rep. I respect <laughs> him. I think he's got a lot of good stuff to say. Don't necessarily agree with everything that he said, but check out his book. It's a small I little told book. You when I said that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Carl little book. I just said a Carl little book. Carl, Carl, <laughs> <laughs> Carl it's a great little book you got there. <laughs> Absolutely, it is a good little book. Check it out. Those are some good resources. We hope that you enjoyed this. And uh, maybe you got to laugh too. So God bless you. Have a good night.